0: Hey, hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Kevin L. Jackson with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. It's a Digital Transformers Takeover. Kevin, how are you doing? Yes, I'm doing great. Happy
2: Monday, everyone. The third Monday in the month. This is Digital Transformers time.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what? We're going to raise the stakes a little bit more, Kevin, because not only is this the Digital Transformers Takeover, but it is your 27th birthday happy birthday kevin
2: <laughs> you know what this is like the 40th time I've been in for 27 i love it i love it i don't <laughs> want to move <laughs> thank well, you thank you very much and I, I appreciate all the well wishes i tell you my um my my stream on linkedin and twitter and whatsapp and facebook just blew up this morning <laughs> starting at like you know a minute after midnight it was amazing and uh actually my daughter her birthday is uh november 14th so yesterday was her birthday and she she lives down in virginia beach and uh, she drove up here with her fiance and surprised us yesterday morning i want to spend my birthday with my dad so that was really that was really great thing. so we went to dinner it was it was been a good weekend
0: outstanding. Well, as it should be. So happy birthday. We'll celebrate with you a little later on today, perhaps. But uh, again, it's all about digital transformers here today. We have a big guest. We've got Richard Hummel, Manager of Threat Intelligence with NetScout. Uh, So buckle up and get ready uh, because beyond what we're going to be sharing, a lot of it rotating around uh, cybersecurity, really across global business and a lot more. But hey, we want to hear from you too, right, Kevin?
2: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we have all experienced over the past year is this transition into the virtual world and everybody working from home, and that's been a boom for the mal, uh, mal actors out there. They right. have uh, attacked us at home, attacked our networks, and uh, Richard and his team really can help us out there, and especially in supply chain. You'll be amazed at that this is really the soft underbelly of every enterprise is their their cyber defense of their supply chain
0: Mm. it's a great point you know the european union predicted a four-fold increase in uh supply chain cyber attacks this year It's no telling what is in store for next year we're going to talk about some of those things here today so buckle up and get ready hey uh we're going to share a couple of quick announcements, and then we're going to share some of the folks that have already been logging in and, and contributing into Skyboxes. Folks, we want to hear your comments here today as we get ready for this Digital Transformers takeover discussion of the buzz. But All right, so Kevin, mm-hmm. last Friday, we ha- had a live stream with our dear friends at Esker, right? Esker's yes. been part of the Digital Transformers community. Well, Chad had joined us, and as we were the, the parting the departing platform, we said, hey, Chad, what you, what you got going on tonight? He goes, I'm going to take my wife out for a steak and an adult beverage. I said, wait, well, hey, Chad, <laughs> if you don't send a picture, it didn't happen. And he he obliged. Oh, that's the picture. <laughs> so that is out in Denver. Look at that gorgeous sky. Look like they might have had Beautiful. a little storm uh, coming up. But, uh, Chad, hopefully you enjoyed a wonderful time uh, uh, drinking good beer and eating a good steak with your wife. So great to have you with us last week. Kevin, did you, did you uh, have a chance to get a good meal in over the weekend?
2: You know what? Absolutely, I went to Chris Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Oh God, you know that's like, mm, it just melted in, in, <laughs> in the mouth, and and it was one of the first times you know that I've been able to go out to a, you know a real restaurant instead of ordering stuff in every day. And uh, the place was crowded; it was you know packed. You know, you know, but you know things are trying to get back to normal.
0: That's right. So you kind of pre-celebrated your birthday a little bit. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit.
0: All right. Love that. Uh, Roots Chris is a good, good good place to eat. Great steak. All right. One other thing really quick before we say hello to a few folks is join us this Thursday. So uh, a cloud native TMS, right? In this, in this world of disruption when it comes to supply chain and freight and moving stuff. Well, join us uh, with our friends at Manhattan Associates as we talk about why. Supply chain is a team sport. So uh, the link uh, to join us for this free webinar should be in the show notes. And that's going to be this Thursday at 12 noon Eastern time. Uh, Kevin, mm-hmm. old Greg is going to join us. and he, <laughs> It may be from the coast. There might be some seagulls in the background. There might, there may be adult-
2: that, that, that man is on a different level now. I mean, <laughs> that, he's uh you know, when you exit, you become a God, <laughs>
0: So what Kevin's talking about is, of course, uh, Blue Ridge, uh, the company that Greg founded, uh, was acquired by a uh, private equity company uh, in the the last couple of months. So that's created a ton of work. And, uh, you know, plus, Greg should be able to kick his feet back uh, a a couple of times, right? That's not a bad thing, is it, Kevin? (laughs) Well, um, hey, so so join us this Thursday. But hey, we got to switch over. And say hello to a few folks that have joined us here today. Uh, Haren is tuned in via LinkedIn. He says, happy birthday, Kevin.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Haren, let us know what part of the world that you are at. We'd love to connect dots there. Adam is listening in from Canada via LinkedIn. Happy birthday, Kevin, my fellow Scorpion.
2: Scorpios, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, Ashley's tuned in via uh, LinkedIn from Arizona. So great to see you, Ashley. Chiku is tuned in from Arizona as well via LinkedIn, says birthday wishes, Kevin.
2: Mm -hmm. Gene
0: Gene Pledger. Now, uh, if you know Gene, Gene's been a part of some previous episodes as well. In fact, Gene shared some pictures of a steak meal he had up in Chicago. I meant to grab those earlier, but he is tuned in. Uh, from Northern Alabama, Gene. Now, uh, Kevin, you, you, uh, I want to say you grew up, you spent some of your upbringing in Alabama, right? We're not
2: Alabama, actually, Mississippi. I was on the Gulf Coast down uh, yeah in uh, Gulfport in Biloxi. So uh, I'm more familiar with LA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh mohib is tuned in of course uh from wichita the air capital of the world via linkedin mohib great to see you here today i've really enjoyed your contributions here lately harin is sunny answering our question london. london
2: that's the rarest place sunny london
0: uh, Sunny London. <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> esther uh, is tuned in via youtube uh happy birthday thank kevin you. thank you for that esther and finally, Vincent is tuned in from France via LinkedIn, and uh, it, it's getting – I wonder what time. It's probably, what, 8 p.m. Yeah, there, depending on where he is?
2: Six or seven hours, yeah. Um, We've well, we changed clock, so I'm not sure if it's five <laughs> or six hours.
0: I don't know who's coming or going with these <laughs> uh, daylight savings and, and the reversals, but uh, Vincent, thank you for spending a portion of your evening with us. Kelly Barner's tuned in. Happy birthday to hey, Kevin, Kelly. of course.
2: Power of the K's.
0: <laughs> so, Kelly, of course, leads our uh, dopy for procurement programming here at Supply Chain Now. So, I hope this finds you well. Kelly Madhav is tuned in from Marlboro, Massachusetts, up there near where Kelly is. And then, one final one here Fred Tolbert. You know who Fred Tolbert is, uh, Kevin?
2: He's been on the stream a lot. Where is he? Where is he?
0: Well, uh, he's, he's in the Atlanta area. I think he's out here okay. b- near where we are, but he is the Doc Holiday of supply chain. He tells it like it is. You don't want to mess oh,
2: wow. with the Huckleberry.
0: <laughs> I'll have Tolbert. to meet him
2: next time I'm down there.
0: That's right. And Fred, we enjoyed. I uh, hadn't seen the replay yet, but looks like y'all had a great conversation with you and Corinne Bursa. So thanks for all you do with the next generation of supply chain talent. Okay. 608, Kevin, in 608 in French. 608 in French. Uh, France 608. Well, are you ready, Kevin? Yes. We've got a rock and roll star with us here today. Are you ready to bring in our featured guest? Let's do it. I want to introduce and bring into the stream one Richard Hummel, Manager of Threat Intelligence with Netscout. Richard, how are we doing? Good morning, Scott. Morning, Kevin. I'm doing
1: great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Where are you today?
1: I'm coming at you from just south of Washington, D.C., in a very cold, starting-to-be-winter uh, environment. <laughs> so it's I'm not ready for it. <laughs> I just got back from Florida from a vacation, and I don't want to deal with the cold.
2: <laughs> yeah, I heard that the snow this year is going to be heavier than the last two years combined. Oh. So
1: <laughs> I have a small driveway, so there is, there is a saving grace there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so I want to um... – there's a couple of warm-up questions we want to start with, right? we want to have a little bit of fun this morning. And folks, if you've ever been to Disney World, I'm going to go ahead and, and plant this seed with you. Let us know your favorite business takeaway from the experience down there at Walt Disney World. Because Richard Hummel spent last week at Disney World with uh, his family. And Richard, I'm putting you on the spot. What was your one favorite thing about your most recent trip down there? I think the best
1: one was just how well our two-year-old did. Uh, he enjoyed oh, everything about it. Yeah. He found a couple of his favorite rides. It's a small world and the new Mickey Mouse ride. Uh, he just wanted to keep doing it over and over again. Um, so it was fun to see his kind of personality coming out um,
0: to enjoy those rides. I think to me, that's the biggest takeaway as a family. I love that. Love that. Uh, and Kevin, that, that resonates with both of you, both of us as fathers, yeah. right? Yeah, if, if yeah the kids, absolutely. Man, if the kids are happy, that is worth the price of admission for sure.
2: But I tell you, it's two years old, right?
0: Two years, yeah.
2: Well, you know, one of the, uh, 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 when my, my son, he was like seven, we, we we went to Disney World and he was like three, right? And then he was like eight or seven or eight or nine, and he, he said, You never took me to Disney World. I said, <laughs> Wait a what minute. You, mean? <laughs> you had the same thing, right? Oh, two I'm sure. Old, I'm sure. You won't remember.
0: <laughs> well, these days, Of course, we, we, as opposed to my earliest visits, it's it's so easy to document, right? Document the the trip. So lots and lots of pictures. Um, Okay. So what I want to do, one more, one more kind of fun question. So uh, Kevin, Richard, if y'all will humor me here, because today is clean out your refrigerator day. So, Hey, I didn't know this is a thing, but this idea was born back in 1995 Many folks, it's not official because folks don't know exactly where it started, but some folks believe that Whirlpool Corporation, the, the appliance company, um, started it, and then it's gained a little traction ever since. So the question for you, Richard, I'm going to start with you. The question here on clean out your refrigerator day is a simple one. Hey, what is one thing that always gets stuck or hidden in your fridge?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say it's stuck or hidden. I think it's oversight on both mine and my wife's point. We both love Asian dishes. And every time we get ready to make a new one, do we have fish oil or do we have that soy sauce? And inevitably, (laughs) both of us miss it. And so when we cleaned out our fridge recently, we had three bottles of fish oil and two bottles of (laughs) For whatever reason, they just
0: get stuck there and they never go away. I love it. So you're saying you're a bad inventory manager of your <laughs> uh, refrigerator. Of the refrigerator, um, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Kevin, same question. At, in the Jackson household, what gets yeah. lost in the refrigerator?
2: Well, i tell you, I mean, we, we, we do go out to eat uh, quite often. And you go to good restaurants and sometimes you get too much food, right? So you ask for the doggy bag or the box and you want to take it home. He said, "Well, that could be great for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> Wrap it up, put it in the refrigerator, and then three weeks later, you figure out I never eat it. This line is in the bathroom <laughs> and it goes into the trash. You know, so that, that that great food that you meant to eat for lunch <laughs> the next happens
0: Thursday. happens <laughs> all the time, and, and you know, uh, <laughs> also with leftovers from restaurants. I bet I've left after asking for a, a box or getting something boxed up." I bet I've walked out of a restaurant a thousand times, leaving it sitting right there <laughs> on the table, right? Yes. So it never even makes it to my refrigerator, but nonetheless, <laughs> I appreciate y'all humoring me on, uh, on what is clean out your refrigerator day, the 15th of each of November of each year. Okay. So what I want to do, uh, Kevin and Richard, we've got some, we've got some heavy lifting to get into some, some hard hitting news and developments. Are y'all ready to get started?
2: Let's Absolutely. It. Let's do it.
0: All right, so I'm going to pop this up here because I want to talk about the um, a big increase as reported by uh, cybersecurity firm Kapersky It's reporting a big increase in smart distributed denial of service attacks. That would be DDoS, as Kevin and Richard have uh, have trained me up on. So, Kevin, what the heck is DDoS attacks? So, tell us more about the yeah. story.
2: So uh, first of all, I want to talk about what's DDoS versus a smart DDoS. So DDoS is denial of service attack, and it, uh, a traditional DDoS attack is that you you flood the connection on the network so that it can't be used. Well, a smart DDoS attack is a targeted attack, right? And it's mm. to disrupt specific services or. Uh, many times focus on stealing money, right? So, but the third quarter beat every record in term of the daily number of DDoS attacks, right? Uh, they observed on August 18th, there were 8,825 separate attacks with more than 5,000 on both the 21st and 22nd of August. The total number of DDoS attacks were up 24% compared wow. to last year. and But the smart attacks were up 31% over the same time period. So these uh, attackers are attacking with purpose. So these are, re- these are also uh, profitable. So the number of these attacks will continue to increase. And they're always especially high at the end of the year. You can imagine with the holidays and all the online uh, purchasing and, and shopping. But another thing that's kind of interesting is that um, uh, 80%, 40 to 80% of these attacks were directed at U.S.-based resources. And they were... They were typically send flooding, and uh, maybe Richard could help us with that. Mm-hmm. But the, the botnet servers, there's actually a command and control network that manages these attacks. But most of these servers were in the United States, with 43.4% of them in the United States. reason I bring that up because people are always uh, thinking other countries are doing that. But uh, most of the bots attacking honeypots operate from China. So the U.S. and China were sort of the, you know, uh, originators of of a lot of these DDoS attacks.
0: So bots, honeypots. uh, Richard, what else (laughs) sticks out here to help us through it? Yeah, so, I
1: mean, there's a lot to unpack here. um, And kind of where do you start? I mean, how long has DDoS been around? And really, since (laughs) the Internet has been a thing, there's been DDoS. Um, whether incidental DDoS or on purpose or malicious intent, such as trying to extort victims. Um, and the reality is, is like we have been continually doing this kind of up into the right thing with DDoS. Um, just, you know, we published a threat report recently where we talked about record-breaking numbers. And in 2020, we saw over 10 million DDoS attacks. In the first wow. half of this year, we've seen 5.4 million. And if that trend continues, which Kevin just noted towards the holiday season we tend to see uptick and surges in DDoS attacks. We're on track to beat 11 million attacks. Now I bring wow. up these numbers because you know Kevin referenced the numbers that that we're seeing in this Kaspersky report. They're talking about 8,000 or whatever, and just to put it into perspective from from kind of the global visibility we have, uh, we see about 33,000 attacks per day, um, and so there's there's a there's a big scale difference here now. Let me break that apart and why we see such big differences. And that's because we're seeing things from the entire internet perspective. So a lot of the first and second tier internet service providers uh, provide statistics to us and anonymous feedback data where we can actually ascertain to say, look, this is the total breadth of DDoS attacks. Now, when we're looking at it from like a Persky's angle or various other peers in that space, we're talking more enterprise related. Um, And so then when we started to get into the smart DDoS stuff, we're talking about, well, what's actually targeting applications or certain services or maybe a certain server? Um, Or maybe it's something that we rely on. And I know we're going to get into this later, but VPNs became critical with COVID, right? And so now we're talking about adversaries doing their due diligence, doing their network reconnaissance to figure out, Mm -hmm. you know, what are these critical assets on this network that I want to go after, and not just deploying these brute force, you know, sledgehammer methods of the past, where, I mean, let's go back several years and we talk about, you know, the Mariah attacks from 2016, you have the memcached stuff from 2019, which hit, you know, 1.7 terabit per second. Um, So all these things, you know, like single vectors, right? One vector that as soon as it comes out, everybody knows about that. We know how to mitigate those. In fact, now you get a two terabit per second attack using some UDP method, which is like a connectionless protocol, and, you know, you don't really feel the impacts of those anymore.
0: Maybe there's a little so what, bit of latency, but, you know, go ahead. So, so for the non-technologists uh, that may be tuned in here today, when you talk about those terabyte speeds and vectors, break that down just a little bit more. What, what's a standard uh, when we hear two terabyte per second? attack is that is that faster than most attacks is that about average so there's give us some two perspective metrics.
1: yeah there's the two metrics here and just clarification terabits versus terabytes different, different ah. metrics so um the terabit per second it, it's kind of like this new era that we're in we you know the media has always sensationalized these really big attacks and when we talk about the terabit per second attack we're talking about bandwidth so the total bandwidth of an attack now there's also a separate me- uh, metric we call throughput or speed how fast is that attack um, so two different things that are, are very distinct in and of themselves. And um, in, in even in the past year or so, we've talk, We've had these media articles come out saying, we observed the fastest attack on record, something like 865 million packets per second, so on and so forth. Um, Cloudflare or Google came out with something saying 2.4 uh, terabit per second attack in terms of bandwidth. And so this mm. is like full saturation. These are all the pipes coming in. This is the aggregate of all of the internet transit occurring during that DLS attack. Now, maybe it's all simultaneous, maybe it's uh, consecutive, um, but that is the totality of that DDoS attack traffic. And so that's what we talk about when we talk about big sizes, the bandwidth, the total aggregate of all that DDoS traffic. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, the the, the thing you want to keep in mind is, is the point in time that is the highest peak, because that's going to be when things really trigger. Um, And so we have something, (laughs) we we tried to coin this term. Um, I'm going to put a little, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of know here, but uh, we, we tried to coin this term called the DAC, the DDoS Attack Coefficient, and what we were looking at is what is the single highest peak of all aggregated DDoS attack, attack traffic for any given internet transit pipe, um, and it didn't really catch on. So now we call it the peak, the aggregate peak of all DDoS attacks, and basically what we're saying in a given second or a given minute, this is the highest peak that we've achieved of concurrent. DDoS transit across an internet pipe. And we can do this for any size like ASN, CIDR block, geography, whether it's country or region. Um, And so we can start to look at these things. And just in the the threat report, we've got two instances of these, one in Brazil and one in Angola. Um, The one in Brazil reached two terabit per second of attack traffic against local um, internet service provider cable networks. Um, And we anticipate this is related to gaming, which a lot of DDoS attacks are in the ISP space. The second one was at 1. 1.4, 1. 1.6 terabits of aggregate traffic in a one-second interval against a local TV provider, um, so actually targeting a local TV provider in Angola. Um, and so we can start to do these things and figure out, like, what is the actual impact we have here? Uh, because when we talk about these 2.4 terabits, did Google really feel the impact of that? Probably not, because this distributed the attack all over the place, and they have the, the transit capacity to handle that. Now, you're talking about a small TV provider, maybe in Angola, they may not be able to handle that saturation over that one one minute interval. So now you're talking about bandwidth overload and in this kind of flooding concept. Um, So, yeah. I think these
2: numbers are really surprising. I can see an audience. I mean, how could someone really prepare for something like that? They don't even can imagine it exists.
1: Well, you know, the thing is, is like a lot of, A lot of these really big attacks, um, they're important to to understand that they're happening, but are they as critical as they used to be? And, And my answer would be immediately no. Why? Because we know how to mitigate these. Most DDoS services out there, protections, mitigation services out there, they understand these attacks. They've been happening for many, many years. And the thing with DDoS attacks you have to keep in mind is that there is no regression. There is always moving forward. And an adversary never has to remove a certain attack vector as not working anymore because they just keep adding to it. Um, in Germany, this past year, we saw a, a single attack leveraging 31 different attack vectors in that one attack. Because what happens is these adversaries, def- you know, they, they, they develop these new methodologies and these new attack vehicles, or they find a new mm-hmm. protocol that can amplify traffic, and they run these booter stressor services, they run these botnets, and they just keep adding to the toolkit. Why take it away? There's there's no reason to because these vectors remain alive, almost, essentially forever. Um, two years ago, I did a, a case study to figure out like you know do these vectors live? Do they die? What is the cadence at which they de- you know degrade or increase? Don't they
0: growth? retire at some point? And <laughs> <ride in Florida laughs> they
1: and don't they really the don't? It's it's super surprising. So so Memcached is a good example because when it first came out, there's about thirty five thousand Memcached servers that could amplify traffic, and when I say amplify. I'm talking a one to 52,000 amplification factor, which is just absurd. And that's that's how we reached like the 1.2 and the 1.7 terabit benchmarks at the time. Um, well, fast forward to today, and we still see anywhere between 10 to 15,000 of these existing in the wild. So why aren't we cleaning these up? Um, the same is true for any other vector out there. And IoT is a huge proponent of this because the rate at which we're adding IoT devices to our, our, the internet and the networks is increasing at such a rate that we can't actually secure them from being able to launch these types of attacks. So co is it a protocol? Uh, ARMS, which is Apple Remote Management Service, is a protocol. Every January, I see a spike in the number of devices that can leverage Apple Remote Management Service as an amplification vector. Why is that? Because thousands and tens of thousands of people got new MacBooks for Christmas, and in January, they're turning these things on, and all of a sudden they can be abused now by adversaries. Um, and so that's the nature of this field is like adversaries are continually adding to this, which contributes to that smart DDoS uh, that Kaspersky is talking about here, right? Because it all adds to this complexity. And in these other statistics, they're they're spot on with regards to like CNC servers and botnet traffic attacking honeypots coming from China. In fact, right. China, Vietnam, and India are the top three. Um, United States is, is a pretty close follower there in terms of honeypots go, um, but you know, a surprising statistic about the the traffic from China to honeypots: uh, the vast majority of the traffic that we observed can be traced back to twenty three distinct IP addresses in China, hmm. um, and that's like fifty percent of all of the inbound honeypot traffic we saw comes from twenty three IPs.
0: Right? Why well, can't so, crack down on those twenty three <laughs> IP addresses and shut them down? Is it is um, you think? Is there a reason why that doesn't happen?
2: You're, l- <laughs> you're lucky. Lucky Greg is not here. They're owned by a Chinese government.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know you're kind of you're kidding, but is there an element there where they're, they may be supported by, um, by governments overseas?
1: You know, the, the problem is, is, you shut one of these things down and two seconds later, another one springs up elsewhere. And so you, you, you can shut them down. And I mean, cybercrime world has, you know, we've been talking about bulletproof hosting and fast flux for many, many years. Um, and this is like constantly iterating through tons of IP addresses or tons of host names, like on a, a continuous basis, sometimes seconds. And right. so you could shut one down, but then another one stands up a few seconds later.
0: And you know, w- what's the point? So we've, we've got three more stories to get to, but we've we got a good question here. We've got a good question. So Sylvia said, mind blown. I'm with you, Sylvia, uh, as the only non-technologist here, but she says, what are honeypots?" So what's a, okay. in a nutshell definition of that? So think of it as a device,
1: whether it's a virtual device or an on-prem device that just sits there and does nothing but collect inbound connections. Um, And so a honeypot can do any number of things. Now, I will tell you that in NetScout we do things a little bit different. We don't just collect the passive stuff. We actually have some active stuff that pertains to DDoS. So we actually know when an adversary says, hey, DDoS this person, we actually can capture that command and we can inform that person that's being attacked that, hey, you're going to be attacked. Um, so ours is a little bit different uh, in that regard, but most honeypots out there, they just sit out there somewhere on the internet looking for connections. And the re- reality is, is that these Mirai bots and Satori and Gaffkit and Lucifer, and I can name any number of half a dozen of IoT bots, right? They're all out there doing this auto propagation. And so they're constantly scanning the entire IPv4 internet space, looking for things that they can compromise. And so when we see an inbound connection to a honeypot, which should not get any inbound connections unless we initiated it, we would suspect that that connection as being bad. Now it could be a crawler, right? It could be Google crawling websites trying to find things. Sure, we can discard that. It could be someone scanning the internet like we also do to find security things to inform our customers. But by and large, it's a bad guy trying to brute force something or exploit something. And we, we basically looked at how soon does a new device on the internet get brute forced? And the answer is less than five minutes. Wow. So you think Christmas comes around, you have all these devices that are IoT connected, Connect them to the internet. And the first thing you're not going to do is go change your password, right? You're, you're going to play with your toy. Uh, that's what I would do. Uh, and I'm a security <laughs> professional. Uh, but the reality is, is, within five minutes, those things are getting brute forced. Um, and so that's the nature of the landscape.
0: Wow. Okay. So let's do this. So, Vincent, you asked about these attacks slowing down digital transformation and yeah. supply chain. It's a great question. We're going to address some of that in, in just a few minutes. So stick tight uh, just for a few minutes with us here. Okay. So, Kevin, I'm going to give you one succinct last word before we move to our second story. Your final word on the well, DDoS. I'd say
2: let's move to the second story because I think okay. we can answer Vincent's question with the second story.
0: Wonderful. And in this case, we're moving from smart DDoS attacks to ransomware. So, according to ZD uh, ZDNet, we're seeing a lot more sophisticated ransomware attacks in the market. So, Kevin, yeah. tell us, what, what what are we seeing here?
2: So, Major incidents of ransomware are targeting supply chains, critical infrastructure, and hospitals. And they've been very disruptive, very successful. And talking about slowing down digital transformation, 800 to 1,500 small and medium-sized companies have experienced ransomware compromised through their providers. So these small companies don't have enough money to maybe have their own IT staff, so they get the service from a managed service provider, an MSP. And the ransomware is coming through the MSP to attack the small and medium-sized companies. One of these, most recent, is Kaseya. They provide IT solutions uh, via a small a product of theirs called VSA, and it's a remote monitoring and management piece of software. So if you get a if you get a managed service, uh, many of them over forty thousand managed service providers worldwide use the Cassia VSA product to service their customers. Right. All right. So you don't even know that you have the product. It's just part of your your service. And the attackers or ransomware attackers are attacking the Kaseya software to get at the end users. So if you're trying to digitally transform your business, you're a small business that is trying to look at this software provider or this managed service provider and say, I can do this easily and quickly. Boom! You you are a noun, a target, and you you didn't even do anything. Mm. This, this is a big shift in the attack paradigm, right? Instead of attacking the end user, they're attacking the end user's IT supply chain, right? Your managed service provider, um, and the, the ransomware operators are choosing targets based on their financial capability to comply with higher ransom demands and their need to resume operations as quickly as possible. So think about it. You're a small and medium business. You need to make payroll. You now have a ransomware that says you pay this money or you're not going to make payroll. You'll lose your business unless you pay that money right now. And wow. that's why they're coming after. And that will, I mean, that'll put a break on <laughs> any digital transformation.
0: Right. Richard, coming to you again, we're talking ransomware and yeah. some of these ruthless tactics and some of the growth there. So what are some of your thoughts here? Oh,
1: man, I could, I could literally spend an entire day talking about ransomware. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, my last job when I was working for uh, FireEye, I was primarily focused on ransomware. So I've been kind of in this space for you know, seven years now. And ransomware is interesting. In fact, you know, let me ask you, Scott and Kevin, when when do you think ransomware first entered the scene? Can you give
0: me a, a year? <laughs> Nineteen ninety eight. Maybe oh.
2: ninety five. Maybe uh, ninety five. Oh. When uh... almost ten
0: years off, guys. Nineteen eighty nine.
1: Wow. Nineteen eighty nine is the first, you know, documented instance of ransomware. And you know, at the time, it was just things like, you know, we we blocked your screen and now you're going to wire transfer us or you're going to do premium SMS on behalf of us. And that's kind of how things invented, right? But I mean, fast 1989, that's a long time, right? Now think about this from the digital world. How far have we come since 1989? Well, the adversaries have have progressed along with us. In fact, they can iterate much, much faster than we can. And sometimes they're able to turn things around in a 24-hour window that would take a large enterprise months to do. And so when we talk about new exploits and we talk about new ways to get in, like this is this is constantly churning for adversaries and they have no, they're, there's no managers, there's no CEOs, there's no like oversight committee. They're basically just iterating this on their own. It's they're really, really rapid. Um, you know, Scott and Kevin and I were talking about this before you know, we kicked this off. And the cybercrime world is really a fully functioning enterprise. It's really an entrepreneur's game. And these guys mm-hmm. have gotten to the point where it used to be one adversary would do everything, right? They would code the malware. They would operate the infrastructure. They would distribute it in spam messaging. They would, you know, have their own infrastructure stood up and all that tied back to them. But they realized that, you know what? If we actually get caught then they're going to take it down, our operation ceases and we're not going to get paid anymore. So, you know, malware authors thought about this. You know, I'm going to code the malware. I'm not actually going to do anything illegal. I'm just going to make something that's very nefarious. Somebody else is going to buy it from me and operate it. And they're going to take on the responsibility mm-hmm. of getting hit. Well, then the operators are like, well, you know what? I, I don't want to take on full responsibility. And so they outsource their, their infrastructure. And so somebody else is running their, their C2 servers and things like that. Well, you know, the, the real intrusive part is actually getting people to click on a link or to download something and actually compromise their computer. So I'm going to outsource my spam distribution as well. And so now you have all these outsourcing things. And, and by nature of that, You have all of these guys able to specialize in what they do. And so you have these spam content creators that are getting very, very good at what they do, and you cannot often distinguish a spam message from something that's legitimate. Um, And you have all these adversaries out there doing what I call opportunistic targeting, where they will take advantage of a data breach, for instance, go back to OPM. How many of us lost our social security number to the OPM breach, right? (laughs) Um, And so adversaries would take that list they would very specifically curate the list and say hey i'm going to send to all 260,000 plus of these people i have all of your social security numbers so i can automate this process and now i've crafted an email that says look i have your social security number there's more things that were compromised if you want to fix it click here well guess what how many people are going to click that you have their social security number so this is legitimate right Um, and so you have all this kind of phenomena happening where this full enterprise is working out now Ransomware now operates as a service. It's ransomware as a service now. And so you have all of these operators out there, like the maze stuff and the dark side and all of these different operations. Sounds like, like comic book characters.
2: This is scary, really scary stuff.
1: <laughs> How they come up with these names is is anybody's guess. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes we as researchers name these things, but for the most part, you know, some of these uh, ransomware guys that are, are around to stay for a while, they name themselves. Um, DarkSide is a name that probably everybody knows because right. that's, think of Colonial Pipeline and shutting down, you know, the, the crude oil to right. the Eastern Seaboard. Well, that's a supply chain attack because right. they went after a billing provider for the Colonial where Colonial could not charge where the oil was going to because they couldn't access their customer data. And so right. very clearly that these ransomware guys went after this. Now I want to tie this back to the first topic we were, we were discussing, which is DDoS. Well, April 24th, DarkSide actually started offering DDoS as part of their ransomware as a service platform. Well, who else has done that? So Maze has done it. Avidon has done that. We have uh, LockBit 2.0 operators in the underground saying, hey, if anybody knows how to do DDoS, contact us because we want to get into business. Uh, Hello Kitty, a new ransomware, they just started offering DDoS as part of their toolkit. And so we're seeing more and more of these folks adding to this. And so ransomware is very much a thing and it's, it's continually increasing, getting a lot more complex. And it used to be that you could just, with ransomware, let's reboot the system and maybe we get our files back. Or the, the encryption key is, is resident locally, and so let's get that out. Um, but they've gotten really wise to this. And so you're not going to get it unless you pay. But as a security researcher, I'm going to tell you don't pay. Because right. you're enabling that adversary. Sometimes it's illegal to do that. Um, and who knows if you're going to get your files back. I think in this same report that we're referencing here, it says that they got up to 50, 51% of their data back. Right. Um, that's, I mean, if I'm going to pay a million dollars to get my data, I don't want to have just 50% of it returned.
0: I want all of it. Right. Um, so the better Folks, thing. Yeah, go ahead. Don't don't pay. Don't do pay. You heard pay. it here first. No, not. hey Not <laughs> pay. So uh, in layman's terms here, I do want to uh, share something that Kevin and Richard both have spoken to, which was in the article. You know, cyber criminals have been personalizing their approach more this year. How nice of them, right? How nice of them. <laughs> yeah. Instead of an approach targeting the masses, criminals have been selecting a much smaller target list based on who they think, as Kevin and Richard have both spoken to, who they think is most likely to pay. So um, don't pay. Go out and get a VPN. Go out and take precautions. Now's the time to act for sure. And that's not uh, I don't think that is um, sensationalizing uh the, the, writ, the threat that's out there. Right, Kevin?
2: No, not not at all. I mean, they are really getting personal and um, because there's so much data about every one of us out there and they use that data that um, other bad actors have collected to target you.
0: So on that note, uh, and, and you know Mike, he'll ask a great question, and we'll try to circle back to that. We got a couple more things to share, and then we'll try to get to Mike's question about um, how the industry is no longer authenticating people; they're authenticating devices, uh, and how do we address that? So, Mike, hold on to that thought just for a second. Uh, Richard, one. Final quick comment on ransomware. It's one of your favorite topics, it sounds. Uh, Give (laughs) give one piece of advice to our listeners, and then we're going to keep trucking. You know what? Just follow industry best current practices
1: because the way that these guys are getting into systems is tried and true methods that we have been talking about for almost a decade. They're using common brute forcing methods to get into RDP and SSH and Telnet and SMB. They're using social engineering via emails to get you to click something or to download something in some rare cases they will use exploits or zero days but for the most part it's outdated stuff four five right. six seven years old um and so making sure that you're staying you know in tune with those best current
0: practices awesome especially as you're giving your kids new devices it opens new opportunities for you to be compromised so uh, find a great resource like a Net Scout, or or Google's your friend here. So uh, take precautions. Let's move right along, Kevin, because we yeah. want to talk about. You know, we've already mentioned it several times. Global supply chains are certainly getting hit more and more with cyber attacks, whether you're a small company, medium-sized company, or a global enterprise. So, Kev- uh, Kevin, what are you seeing as it relates to supply chains getting hit?
2: Well, we're talking about customizing these attacks, right? So if you're in the business of ransomware, of DDoS, you want to maximize the effectiveness of your products, right? And you're going to, you want to focus your attacks on a limited number of targets. And these targets should be, it should be very difficult for these targets to detect you. Guess what? Supply chain is one of these targets, because as an attacker, I have have to do a trade-off between casting a very wide net to compromise a lot of people or narrow to a very targeted list and be very effective in that strategy. That's a small scale attack that could be just as effective because if I picked the right, attack vector their customers will also be affected so the supply chain IT supply chain compromises really focus on the developer environment because of the privilege the developers have and also on mobile environments so the the, the expected growth and the frequency of supply chain attacks will really increase the need to detect these these vectors, um, and there have been rapid advances in the technology that supply chain operators use. So the complexity actually increases, and the supply chain is digitally transforming, and they're trying to use these managed service providers, and there's more organizations that are trying to use this technology to it's a
0: target rich environment, Kevin.
2: Yeah, move faster. So, um, that, you know, you will fall victim to a cyber attack if you're in the supply chain if you don't think about this.
0: So, Richard, your thoughts here when it talk, speak, uh specifically talking about supply chains under attack. Yeah. And, you know,
1: I want to abstract the supply chain a little bit more, but I mean, think back to WannaCry and not Petya. I mean, these are names that should ring a bell because they impacted tens of thousands of organizations because this malware was able to propagate via SMB version one that wasn't patched. Um, And it was a huge problem. And that's the reality is when you get into the supply chain stuff, you got to look at where's all of these things connecting into my organization? And am I securing that third party access? And what privilege levels do they have? And am I isolating that from the rest of my network? Um, so if if my third party does get compromised, am I still going to be okay, or is that going to saturate everything that I do and make me shut down operations? Um, so these are thoughts that you got all have, right? And it goes back to the the comment that I just mentioned about ransomware is if they had patched SMB version one, you know, you wouldn't have an issue. But there was still <laughs> now in terms of
0: oh sorry, go ahead, Scott. Uh, no, no, finish your thought. I've got a question here from uh, Jacqueline about. VPNs, but please go ahead. Go yeah, right I'm ahead. definitely going to uh,
1: address that as well. So that's, that's kind of part of where I'm going with this. So with regards to supply chain, abstracting it a level even further. So we're talking about digital world, digital transformation, and we're talking about supply chain in terms of, you know, there's a third party billing app. There's a digital software somewhere that is the supply chain. There's a distribution mechanism such as the software updates or downloads or whatever they might be, right? Something that comes into the organization. Well, what does all of that stuff rely on? the internet, right? So (laughs) DNS servers, VPNs, internet exchanges, like all of these things that make the internet function. Without that, what is the rest of the supply chain? And so one of the things we looked at in our recent threat report is, are there attacks against those key supply chain elements, what we call the connectivity supply chain? And absolutely there is. In fact, there's been an uptick in attacks against VPNs. And there's two distinct kind of threads here. There's the commercial VPN world, which is separate from kind of our enterprise conversations we've been having so far. And the commercial VPNs is primarily going to be used by gamers. Uh, Gamers, in fact, as a streamer, if you're gaming, you haven't really arrived until you start advertising for a VPN, that's just the way it works. Um, And so (laughs) they're continually pushing you to, to get these VPNs. Well, what happens when all of those VPN nodes are made public, which they are, you go to any VPN website and you can actually see all the nodes, you take all those nodes, and an adversary starts attacking those. Does it affect the one user that they're trying to attack? No, it doesn't. In fact, it impacts every single person on that single VPN concentrator node. And so now you have a collateral damage impact that just has waves that you don't really know the reaches of. Um, the same is true in the corporate space. And so right. there's there's a simple OPSEC thing that you can do to avoid this. is One, just don't expose some of these things publicly. But what we found, there's there's a DDoS extortion crew out there called Lazarus Baramada. Um, we've we blogged about them. They're in the threat report, but what they have specifically done that's kind of different from past DDoS extortion crews is they will actually do network reconnaissance and they'll do reverse lookups. So they'll find your entire IP for, I, I, IP space and then they'll look what you know what's hosted on these, and it just kind of it it just baffles me that right. some organizations will will call their VPN concentrators as vpn.organization.com. So all an adversary has to do is look at the host resolution and say, this is a VPN concentrator. If I go after this, I'm going to take it down. And guess right. what happened? This LBA extortion crew went sp- explicitly after those corporate VPNs. And so something as simple as practicing a little bit of OPSEC, not to name it as VPN, might have saved them from that attack. Now, is there yeah. other ways to figure out this out? Yeah, there is. You can look at the protocols and what's responded in scanning. But again, there's ways to avoid that as well. Um, right. so there, there's definitely ways to avoid attacks against these VPNs.
2: Yeah, one thing I wanted to, to to bring up, and this goes back to uh, Mike uh, Mike Hill's question, right? Yeah, it's it's not. There's this thing that's referred to as an NPE, a non-person entity, and these are things like routers or servers. Um, they are not people. They are things. They are devices, right? And these NPEs manage more than anything else uh, across the internet. So it's really important as an enterprise to identify the critical NPE nodes in your infrastructure and to protect them. Opsec to protect the NPE of your VPN concentrator, is, one, is an example of that. So it's 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 really important to f- to focus on these NPEs as well because they can just uh, an, an attack on an NPE, its its damage is just magnified a hundred right. times.
0: I need an acronym translator uh, (laughs) for this next conversation we sit down. Um, I want to share just a couple quick comments here. And we're going to, the last article specifically on manufacturing, we're going to hit that really quick. But uh, Mohib says, I'm glad that these hackers did not attack the supply chain control tower of our local grocery chain. Uh, The, I guess the service rep uh, at the grocery store told her, told him, it's not a supply chain issue. Your ink cartridge is in a container unloaded in the dock waiting to find a truck to bring it here. okay it's hey, better than a cyber issue, right? Um, and Jose, this is a great question. you know what are through those immediate top three actions a single person in a company need to take today? I think we've already shared a couple there, but so we'll circle back before we uh, before Richard uh, Richard li- leaves us here today and we'll uh, address that question one more time. Um, all right, so I want to Kevin and Richard mm-hmm. I want to move to this final quick article about uh ransomware specifically in the manufacturing sector and i want to call something out quickly and then i'll get both of your takes here but it's really important that the rise of activity here is not all about targeting and disrupting the manufacturing companies themselves but rather they're breaking through going upstream to get data from their suppliers and using that or going downstream as one of y'all referenced earlier and getting data on their customers the, 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 the the HUD, the manufacturers aren't always the number one target here with this, but hey, let's go to, um, Kevin and Kevin, this whole article is driven by our friends at BitSight and third-party trust where they teamed up to analyze the last three years of attacks, uh, to hit the manufacturing industry. So Kevin, what was important to you based on this, this research here?
2: Well, we're, Today we've mentioned Caseya uh, and solar winds and the colonial pipeline, um, but these aren't isolated attacks. Um, and in fact, the manufacturing sector received 70, 17% of all of the attacks on businesses and organizations, and they are targeting high-value data by extorting third parties right so it's it's the the suppliers the clients the partners by extorting that data they can use it to demand ransom from those entities so if you're in manufacturing the likelihood of a ransomware attack uh is probably high and you know based upon your overall security performance. So if you're sort of lax on security, cyber security, guess what? You're right there. You're in the (laughs) crosshairs. Your patching cadence will also impact ransomware risk. Um, People see a, a patch on a server and they may say, okay, we'll do it next month guess what? <laughs> you won't last until next month. Wow. As um, uh, uh, that's what happened with, um, uh, that's what happened with, uh, what was it, and en- en- not Enron. Um, yeah. Long it's time. Happened before. Before. Yeah, yeah, it's happened before. And your um, configuration management of your IET infrastructure is also tied to your ransomware risk. So if you don't have good records, if you don't certify your um, security, your VPN, your certificates, um, and and keep track of your configuration management of your IT, guess what? You're going to be attacked.
0: Hmm. All right. So, Richard, we won't uh, unfortunately have as much time to dive into this last piece, but really succinctly, in a nutshell, key takeaways from uh, the attacks going on in the manufacturing industry.
1: So let me let me give you a quick alliteration. Um, I don't know if you either of you have seen Zootopia. So there's this sly fox in there and he extorts into getting like this free jumbo pop that he then melts down and sells a smaller pops and then sells the sticks as redwood, right? And this is, <laughs> this is, the, this is the mentality of the cyber criminal is any way that I can monetize, I'm going to do it. And so attacks against manufacturing is absolutely let's get in there. Well, let's take down manufacturing while we're in there but let's steal all the intellectual property and then I'm going to extort this person and this person and that person. And on the way out, let's launch a DDoS attack. So now we have a triple extortion event. And so we're seeing more and more of this everywhere. So it doesn't really matter if it's manufacturing, it doesn't matter if it's hospitals or local government, it is happening across the board. Um, And so that's really the kind of the phenomena that we're seeing here. Um, And so I don't even think it's a matter of, let's just focus on manufacturing. Let's look at the whole world. What are adversaries doing and where are they going after to have the highest impact? DOS extortion crews, like the LBA stuff, when they first started, they went after financial organizations. Why? Because that's where the money is. Well, you know what? They figured out these financial organizations are well protected. They're not paying us. So let's go to manufacturing. Let's go to energy. Right. Go to things like that. So that's this is kind of the domino effect. So they're going to go where the money is, where people are paying, and that's where they're going to get their, their next buck.
0: Right. I love that. Uh, that's a good point, Richard. Um, let's make sure we, uh, Kevin and Richard, I'll tell you, this has been a... Uh, fast pay. There's so much going on in this space. There's so much folks that need, uh, there's so much that folks need to be made aware of. So I appreciate what both of you all are sharing, but undoubtedly, you know, we can't get to all the the good stuff in an hour. I want to make sure folks know how to connect Richard with you and Net Scout, and then we'll make the connection with you, Kevin, as well. So Richard, if folks want to learn more, if they want to download that, that threat report, uh, how often do y'all do the threat report, by the way,
1: we do the threat report twice per year. Um, typically kind of a March timeframe for uh, end of the year roll-up. And then uh, we just release this past one in September. So
0: that's the typical cadence every six months. And um, so beyond the the, the current state of, of what the observations you're making, are there are some best practices and some some suggested recommendations in there as well to Jose's question. Yeah. So there, there's a
1: couple of um, kind of frequently asked questions deal where it gives you some line items. Really, it's the, the, the best common practices or the best current practices or BCPs is what we call them. Um, and so nescal.com slash chart report will get you there. It's fully interactive. So you can actually go in there and click around. Um, okay. So you can track the report there and in all future reports will be on that same link. And then if you want to follow me um, at Malware Analyzer uh, for both LinkedIn and Twitter, um, and then we also have a research handle at ACERT research, um, which you can follow some of our more research, uh, related
0: items. Wonderful. Richard Hummel, NetScout. I tell you, uh, I really appreciate you carving an hour out. Kevin, yeah. we, we have, uh, this has been a, uh, quite the hour, huh?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and supply chain, I mean, your ICT, your information, your data, your communications, Supply chain is critical to your business. And as a professional, business professional, you must pay attention.
0: Got to, got to, especially moving into the new year. Uh, all these new uh, nodes come online, Richard and Kevin, uh, here in the year, activity blows up. Uh, it sounds like it's as, as sad as this is. It sounds like it's it's a good, good time to be a startup entrepreneur in, the, in the, the cyber security <laughs> space. I hate to no, hear that.
2: In the cyber attacking space. Right. No
0: kidding. <laughs> all right. So we've been chatting with Richard Hummel with NetScout. Uh, really appreciate your time here today. Make sure y'all connect with him, follow him, check out and download these reports and we'll have to have you back uh, as we get through fourth quarter, hopefully all in one piece, Richard.
1: Let's hope so. And let's, let's hope we're not projecting that an $11 million uh, number in that we hit below that. So the, yeah. the more we can go to the left and, and down the better I don't foresee it <laughs> happening, but you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood.
0: We'll see. Awesome. Well, Hey, thank you so much. Richard Hummel with net scout. We'll be back thank in you, touch Richie. soon. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Oh, Kevin, man. Uh, I need a whiteboard. Y'all <laughs> y'all dropped so much today between what's going on. Some of the backstory, uh, so just the sheer size of the tremendous threat that uh, as Richard made a great point, it's not, uh, you know, it's not just manufacturers, not just supply chain, it's everywhere, right? Everywhere. If you're connected, you're exposed to some degree. And one of my other takeaways was the attacks are happening. It's just which ones break through, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're being, you're under attack, whether you know it or not. So, but Kevin, those were a couple of my quick hitters um, from Richard's uh, POB yeah. today. What, yeah. what was one of your favorite parts?
2: First of all, this is a must-see broadcast, right? Anyone in business needs to listen to this. It will open up your mind to what your job is, and your job is to protect your information, but you protect information of your customers and of your business partners. And and this is really, you know, will open your eyes to that. But but more importantly, you know, you, you have to, do what I call cyber security hygiene, right? The basics. And I think going to that uh, threat report and clicking on those links, if you can just do the basics, you'll protect yourself because the bad guys are looking for that weak link. The people that are not doing the basics. And if you do that, you'll, you'll increase your protection value tenfold.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just Achilles heel. It's Achilles elbow. It's <laughs> Achilles index finger. I mean, yeah. you, you have all these weak spots oh, across yeah. your enterprise that, uh, the, the bad folks, the bad actors out there are constantly trying to find to penetrate and then use it against you, wh- whatever, to monetize, as Richard yeah. pointed out, yeah. How, yeah. however it takes, whatever it takes. Um, okay. Well, Kevin, uh, thank you. I, I tell you these, um, half technological conversations. I should have gone back and gotten my computer science degree. That's where I started in college, Kevin. I don't know if you knew that, (laughs) but I hated the the iterative, you know, the iterative way you learn how to program and code, which is you do it and you do it and you do it. Um, But Kevin, how can folks connect with you? And of course the digital transformer series.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm on Twitter, uh, Kevin underscore Jackson or Kevin Jackson on, on LinkedIn. And of course digital transformers, or oh, yeah on supply chain now.
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, and really enjoyed our time together uh last week at the Johnson uh STEM, Stem Center yes. in Atlanta. Named Oh yeah, named let's Dr. put a plug
2: for the Veterans Bowl on December 11th. <laughs> we'll be and broadcasting live from the from, Johnson STEM Center.
0: That's right. And, and we met we had a uh, the chance to meet one of our collective idols, uh yes. Dr. Lonnie Johnson. Yes. Uh, the center's name for him. He's got he has got I think 132 patents, uh, including the biggest water-related toy uh, in terms of sales of all time, which is the super soaker. And that's just one. I mean, he he's uh from NASA and space NASA, to energy, yeah. you name it. That that was pretty special, uh special time, wasn't it, Kevin?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just in awe. I had to pick up my jaw from the floor. <laughs> <laughs> We got to go through his lab, man. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) So join us. Yellow lines. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So join us December eleventh for a special live stream dedicated to the Veterans Bowl, which is a really cool esports competition based, you know, focused on the Madden uh, football game where teams of veterans are uh, vying for the championship. So. We're honored to cover that and 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 help give it some visibility. And it's just a really cool way to engage uh, the veterans community. So uh, I love that. Okay, so big thanks. Hey, thanks, Mohi for the feedback. New and hard-hitting learning experience. Another awesome session today. Dave, and great to see you here today. Hey, it was quite the uh, learning opportunity, I thought. And Mike finishes with the weakest link is not the user. It is a thing we need to be authenticating. Is that right, Kevin?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Those NPEs, right? Non-person entities.
0: <laughs> uh, not NPEs, non-person entities. Hey, but folks, hopefully you enjoyed this session and learned a lot like I did from uh, these two technologists, Richard and Kevin. Uh, join us for on December 11th for the Veterans Bowl. Hey, join us this coming Thursday for our uh, conversation with the Manhattan Associates all about cloud-based TMS and why supply chain is a team sport check out digital transformers you don't want to miss anything kevin l jackson says you can take it to the bank and you'll have a fun time doing it most important i gotta challenge y'all same way we challenge our team every every single day hey do good give forward be the change that's needed and on that note we'll see you next time right back here on supply chain now thanks everybody thanks for being a part of our supply chain now community